Now, where did I put it? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox. Tools for life and everything in between. Stuff you can use or toss, it's up to you. Hey everybody, uh, my name's Chance Brills, as you all know. Uh, this is episode 14 of Tools for the Toolbox, and I have a very uh, special guest today, and I'm really excited. But as usual, I'm going to let him introduce himself. So who are you, and what is your military background? Thanks for having me on the show, Chance. I appreciate this. Uh, my pleasure. Scott Casey. Uh, I served with the Canadian Armed Forces back in the 80s and 90s, so I'm I'm vintage. <laughs> as i like to call it now old school. uh yeah old school you know back when we had uh the best thing we had was a 21 year old rifle and a 19 year old soldier yep yep <laughs> so uh yeah i served uh in canada over in europe and i was on roto zero in uh, the former yugoslavia one of the first 12 canadians in country there uh wrote a book called ghost keepers about the tour and then homecoming and and uh just coming coming to terms with with how things you know transpired in my life yeah uh, i i'm now the past president of uh, military minds i just stepped down uh november 10th and Stu jackson has taken over uh, at the helm there and it's a great organization that i know he's going to do well with uh founder of the rolling barrage cross canada uh, motorcycle rally for combat vets and first responders which will be seeing its fifth year come uh august 2021 so we're pretty excited about that yeah no doubt that's a wicked wicked trip i really wish i could be on there but first i got to get a bike and <laughs> i got to learn how to ride it and then i got to yeah. make the trip so uh I, I'll, I'll join you eventually yeah. once i get there uh it's all good show, it, show up on horseback hey that'd be good i don't know if i'd be able to keep up with y'all but <laughs> i might have to stop and feed the horse every once in a while yeah. there you go uh might take a little bit longer to get across the country, but um, mm -hmm. what do you do now other than uh, advocacy? Uh, I'm a heavy equipment operator at a copper mine here in British Columbia. And you sent me some pictures a little while ago. Do you, are you, you're rolling in that, the massive, uh, I don't even know what it's called. It's just, it's a excavator, right? But it's one of the, yeah, the it's, really giant ones. Yeah. It's an electric shovel. Yeah. An electric shovel. <laughs> That's what they call it. Yeah. <laughs> if only we had those in the infantry or the engineers, eh? Yeah. Yeah. That would, oh man. I can't, you know what they would, they would make it so hard for us to take apart though. And that's, that's how we would have to do it. Right. Like they'd have to make it yeah. so it was disassembled completely. And then we'd have to assemble it somewhere and then they'd make it take us down or make us take it down right away. That's the way it works. Yeah. Um, how long you been doing, uh, mining or heavy uh, equipment, years. I should say 11 years. Yeah. Oh man. 11 years. Yeah. And when prior get... to that, I, prior to that, I was 18 years on the highway driving truck. Mm. So I've been out on the forces for, for quite a few years since 94. Okay. How was your transition at when you came out initially? <clears throat> transition was terrible, to be honest. Uh, I was on, uh, the 30 day release program at the time when they were doing force reduction. Right. And I had, uh, spent some time at national defense medical center, uh, following my tour and, you know, got the, uh, the golden handshake there of, you're not, uh, you're not doing so shit hot, Mr. Casey. <laughs> and, uh, so anyhow, uh, I was given the opportunity to, to release. So 30 days I was gone and 
There was no planning, no preparation whatsoever. It was just get me the hell out of here. And I got out to British Columbia here from Petawawa and my life just spiraled out of control. Yeah, it no was, doubt. It was crazy. I, I had somewhat of a job to go to, you know, you know, driving truck, but it was very limited. I had to get my license here in BC. And so, and uh, my dad gave me an opportunity to drive his truck and, and, you know, sit in the jump seat most of the day and watch what he did and pick up, uh, you know, all the bits and pieces that I needed to learn to, to operate a tractor trailer. And mm-hmm. so anyway, it worked out for the best. And, uh, but I mean, the, the, uh, transition from being in the military to being a civilian in 30 days, yeah, it's not yeah. advisable. No, that, um, <laughs> that's a rough way to go, especially and moving across the country, mm-hmm. right? You're leaving your team, yeah. you're leaving your brothers, you're leaving everything behind. Uh, I mean, the one benefit you had family there, right? Like you're saying your, your dad was there. Yeah. You know, one of the key things, uh, that I always tell people is when you're getting out, make sure you have people around you that can at least help you out because there's going to be mm-hmm. days where you're going to need help. So, I mean, a benefit that your yeah. family was there, but you're, you're moving right across the country. Like there's no one really from your unit. There's no one really from your, uh, from yeah. your battalion, just you by yourself. <laughs> The middle yeah, of transition. Was on my own. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Especially after, after Roto Zero, that's, uh, uh, that's a rough one. So I asked everybody this, but, uh, if you had one piece of advice, one thing, right? There's always the one thing, uh, for transitioning out, what would your one piece of advice be? Uh, one piece of advice transitioning out would be to make sure that you have something to go to that is stable and something that you want to do. Like, uh, don't just take a job so you can get the hell out. Uh, make sure that it's, you've, you've done your homework and, uh, you know, you're, you've got something stable there and, and that, that makes a big difference. Uh, you know, when I, it was interesting when I first got out and I came back to BC, my first job, cause I had to do something to generate revenue. I was a single dad at the time mm-hmm. and I had to pay, uh, you know, had to pay for my kid to, to live and so on. She was just a baby at the time. I think she was three. And uh, so I got a job at a corrugated box plant. And it was it was a good job. It was $21 an hour starting wage to push a broom back in yep. 94. So, I mean, it was it was good wages, a uh, union job. Uh, but I couldn't, I, coming out of the infantry and, and just on the heels of uh, coming out of Bosnia, I was, I was wound up and there was no way I could do the whole Cardboard in, cardboard out, cardboard in, cardboard out, stack, wow. stack, stack, cardboard yeah. in, cardboard. It was Eight just hours a day. Oh God. Yeah. It, it killed me. I lasted two weeks. Yeah. So no doubt. That, that's when I got into the cab of a truck. Cause I knew I was, I could be moving around. Everything was different. Had to pay attention, you know, there, and there was a solitude of that as well. So yeah. advice is to make sure you've got something solid to go to and, and be be confident in yourself that you're going to make it because yeah. there's, you know, when I left, there was, there was a uh, senior NCOs who were very toxic and they, they basically said, you'll be back. You're a loser. You'll be back just like the rest of them. And you're- you know, that stuff, that stuff plagues you for a long time, you know? Yep. So yeah, even uh, myself now, I still, I got told the same thing, uh, yeah. not by toxic guys, by like friends of mine who had gotten out and then just, couldn't handle being out of the military and then got back in and they're like, yeah, no, it's not easy to be out. 
you'll find that you're you'll you'll long for it. You'll you'll wish that you could be back here with with us, and you'll probably be back. Don't worry. You 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 know your job well enough, and you you're good at it. You'll be back. And I was like, no, no, not gonna happen. But there are times. He was right. There are definitely times where you wish you were still in, and you see a picture of somebody doing some awesome like air mobile inserts or. <clears throat> live fire house clearance and all kinds of really crazy cool stuff but you have to think about what you had to do to get there right like you don't just get to jump on a helicopter and go flying around doing the cool stuff you have to go through a shit ton of bs just to get there first and then fuck around with your chain of command just to, like it's just it's a shit show so normally whenever i get those feelings and i start thinking like oh you know i kind of wish i was still in the military i'll call my buddy back and be like hey man what are you up to right now and he'll be like oh, i'm in some fucking training exercise in wainwright or i'm out in Petawawa or gagetown or whatever and i'm just like cool man thanks that's all i needed <laughs> but you're absolutely right having a plan having a um having a direction at least even at the very least having a direction of what you want to get into especially like now with all the um the schooling and the uh the, the money that's available for post secondary stuff once you're out or um you know reengaging into society i i tell people to get out I'm like man yeah. utilize that across the board like doesn't matter if you don't want to go to school use it it's there find something to learn while you're while you're out, while you're trying to figure it out, because they're going to pay you while you're in school. So that gives you some time. I mean, back in 94, I was in junior high school. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I remember I was in Calgary at the time, and I remember watching the base going from like driving past it to seeing and seeing, you know, guys on parade and people moving around and seeing that pretty often. Um, and then I saw them move all the stuff in the nineties up to Edmonton and there were less and less people every time. <laughs> and then eventually the base was gone and moved up to Edmonton. And, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was 91, but you could see all the people getting out continually if you were looking for it because people were just disappearing and uh, the base wasn't as full anymore. And then, uh, and I, I know a lot of guys that got out at that point in time, they had no idea what they were going to do. And so a lot of the trades filled up because that's what I was looking at going um, when I was getting into high school in the late 90s was I was like, you know, I'd love to get into the, the, the RAP program, the registered apprenticeship program, right? And they were like, yeah, it's it's full. It's totally full. Grade 10, 11, 12. Was, there, was, uh, there was a couple openings in welding when I first, uh, when I was about to graduate high school in uh, 2000. But they were like, yeah, it's full of military guys who got out because of the drawdown throughout the 90s and then uh, trade school was the easiest thing to get into so that's where yeah. they went mm -hmm. it's a tough thing to watch I really didn't understand it at the time and now that I've been through the military and I'm out now I start to recognize that a lot more and um, you do you do a lot of work or you have done a lot of work both uh, both sides of the border too. Do you see this similar thing in the States or is it more specific to our side where we just kind of shuffled our dudes off into a corner? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there's lots of that sort of stuff happening in the U S as well, especially with, uh, you know, the reserve units, national guard and so on. Uh, lots of them were mobilized and, and uh, ramped up for the war and, and of course, now that's, you know, you see the, the decline there where there, people are coming back or have come back. And then, you know, they've deactivated some of the units and some of them have just 
you know, downgraded to their, uh, you know, their threat levels. So uh, we're seeing that kind of stuff down there too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something that we've told through our advocacy work with military minds that is, you know, always look for the resiliency. Yeah. And as tough as it might be, that's just, just even thinking that word on a daily basis uh, helps a lot of the guys just get through the day. And you'll find that after you've gone through a few days, everything just seems to you snowball, right? The good gets better and, and uh, you know, it's, it can be played either way, you know? So yeah, like uh, that, that transition time uh, was very, was very tragic for me. And, you know, I've now dealing with Veterans Affairs Canada, I, uh, you know, I've been given the opportunity to do vocational rehab and the income replacement benefit and all these new things that are out there. And I, and the, and the levels aren't very high for me because I'm already healed. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, so it's, it's kind of a piss off for me. It's like, where the hell were you guys 25 years ago when I needed you, you know? And now it's like, ah, oh, you're doing okay. You don't need any help. So it's, yep. you know, <laughs> there, there should be like a, a pain and suffering part of that section for my life, you know, and not just me, but you know, we've lost 15 guys from my tour. Uh, yeah. just on the, uh, the English, the, uh, Anglophone side, the Francophone side, you know, the, the Van Dues, they, they've lost quite a few as well. And, you know, it's, uh, all those guys from, from those days, that era, they suffered horribly and there was nobody to, to rely on, you know, for, for any kind of help. So moving forward, you know, that, and I've lived the, I've lived that life. I understand it. And mm. now I can talk to other vets and it's like, Hey, you know what, you just got to, you got to take your time and, and formulate a plan like anything, you know, it, it's just a new battle plan that you apply to civilian life. So you can, you can do it. Absolutely. You know, I, I have a friend, uh, a friend of mine who's a former Pickley. Uh, he's been really advocating for uh, the Mexican sufferers and people. And one of the things he came up was a deliverance of, he calls it sanctuary trauma, mm -hmm. where you think you're going to get help from something and then get thrown to the wolves. So you're, we're, they're, they were basically, and I mean, they still do this, the VA will, they will add trauma to something that's already traumatized, right? You, you got guys who are getting out who are not well, and then they just throw them to the wolves, or they bury them under paperwork, or they, mm -hmm. you know, and that's one of the hardest parts is being able to show up every day and be like, okay, what do I got to do today? And I, you know, I've told people this too, is like, think of it like training when you were going through basic, when you're going through your DP one or your QL three or whatever it's called now. Um, it was day to day. You weren't thinking about when the course was over, right? You're not thinking three months down the road, like, Oh, I got to get through all this shit before I can finish. It's my back really hurts. Can I make it through this afternoon? <laughs> yeah. Just, I need to make it to dinner and then I can take my ruck off. I need to make it to whatever. And I can, and, I've told people that, you know, it comes down to the day sometimes where you have to, uh, you got to fight through the day and you just like, I, I just need to make it to dinner time. Like, and then I can put my email away. I can put the paperwork away or whatever. I just make it to dinner time. Once you're at dinner time. Okay. Make it to bedtime. Okay. Once you're at bedtime, see how you feel in the morning when, you know, and just, you break it up into smaller pieces. It's, and it's, everything is a little bit more edible, I guess. Man, it's easier yeah. to take manageable. Yeah. Um, but that, that concept of sanctuary trauma is, it's intense. I, you know, I, I had never actually thought about it, that you would 
add trauma until he started talking about it uh, a little while ago. And that's really, that's, you know, the the quintessential or the stereotypical veteran in, you know, TV and um, movies and stuff like that is the, the tweaked out guy who can't handle a job and he's, or the, the homeless veteran who's just crazy as shit, right? And unfortunately, that is, there is a portion of veterans that are like that. Mm-hmm. That's not the majority by any means, right? Most of us are even dealing with our issues. We still put the brave face on and we just like, okay, we're good to go. Let's deal with the day. And that's what I want to talk to you about today was the face and how prolific it is. <laughs> it is uh, it's a very challenging thing to take off first off and then to leave off. It's a, it's a very difficult thing, but uh, I believe you call it the mask. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So could you describe it to people that wouldn't understand what I'm talking about? Well, the mask is, is simply just a way of, co- uh, it's a coping mechanism is what it is. Uh, you put it on, you get up in the morning and you put your mask on and you go to work or you go to whatever it is that your, you know, that, that your day involves. So it, uh, it essentially doesn't allow anyone to see the chinks in your armor. You know, you're, you're a solid dude. You're, or, you know, if you're a female vet, same thing, you know, like you're solid, you're ready to rock and nobody knows what's going on behind, behind the mask. And I, th- I think it's pretty common. It's not just uh, something that happens with military The all the first responders go through it too. And I think a lot of people just in civilian daily life that deal with traumatic events, they wear them too. So, yeah. uh, it, uh, like I say, it's a coping skill and it's, yeah. it, what it does is it becomes exhaustive, exhausting. Yeah. yeah. It takes a lot of effort to maintain, um, a high level. I, you know, I used to, people would ask me about it, especially my wife when we were first dating, uh, because we'd go out and I'd be happy and fine and we'd be talking to people and nothing like, no, I wouldn't let anything bother me and it'd be all good. And I'd get home and I would just fall apart and I would like be exhausted and I'd be angry and anything uh, people said to me was like a tipping point. I was ready to freaking snap, but I'd pick up the phone and be like, Hey everybody, how's it going? Like immediately change again. And you're using so much effort to keep this up. And I was thinking about why we actually do it. And I realized that it's part of the training, right? Like as we go through, you're, you're taught not to, allow your emotions to get in the way continually. And it, like you said, it becomes a coping mechanism to everything else, but it is a, uh, it's a, when you're training, it is required, right? You have to have it when you're talking about, uh, especially infantry engineers, combat arms guys, when we're, when you guys are storming a trench, you can't think about, you know, I got a rock in my boot. It kind of hurts. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> you have to clear that fucking trench a lot more than that rock in your boot hurts. Um, and we start to do it for mental stuff too, right? You're tired, you're exhausted, you're wet, you're pissed off, you don't want to do the work, and the sergeant says, ruck up, you're like, roger that, and you just get up and go. But you're still tired and exhausted and pissed off with other stuff, so you put the face on and you just fucking march. Yeah, absolutely. I, you have to do that stuff or else you fail, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And 
unfortunately, in civilian life, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> Most things that we do in the military times. don't translate yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. that's very true. Um, mm. Now, I've, you know, I've put a lot of thought into this, and one of the things that I I like to do is give kind of both sides to it. Now, it there is a benefit to using it, right? Like you can you can put the mask on and get shit done, which is beneficial. And it, it's also part of your um, part of your recovery because if you're thinking about how fucked up you are all the time, then you're not going to get better. You're just going to think about how fucked up you are all the time. You're going to beat the living crap of yourself. And I actually just put out a another addendum podcast, uh, um, another podcast that I'm doing uh, where I talked about you know all the hard times and self talk being so important. How if you rip yourself apart like you're your own drill instructor you're never going to get out of that hole, right? And yeah. so there's a part of it where you have to put the the mask on just to get stuff done so that you can say you have stuff done, like you can feel better about yourself and then you can tell yourself, yep, I'm capable, I'm still do, I'm still able to do stuff and keeping keeping yourself motivated. Um, you know, they always said fake it till you make it, right? Like that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, but the problem, the opposite side of it is, as you said, it's exhausting. Right, you're yeah. using. I use the term uh, neurological capital or psychological capital a lot because it, yep. I find a lot of people have it. It's easy to figure out monetary means when you're talking about this stuff because you only have so much, and if you're using all of it just keeping a face up, you're you have nothing else for anything, right? You want yeah. to deal with your kids? Nope. You want to deal with your car? Nope. It. Well, you you know, the reality is you keep your hand on the throttle the whole time, twisting as you're riding. Sooner or later, the, the tank's going to run out of fuel, right? You've, mm -hmm. you've got to stop and you've got to stop and fill up again. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's definitely a real thing. And I, I can, uh, you know, attest to that just on the rolling barrage is a perfect example. I, I just handed off the merchandise section to one of the, one of the volunteers with the organization. He's a fantastic guy, artillery, you know, he's a solid dude. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we opened up registration and he was like, holy shit, Scott, uh, how did you do all of this and everything else? <laughs> and I'm like, I have no idea how I did all of it because mm -hmm. essentially that's, that's where I was at. I did merchandise. I did, you know, the registration, I did accommodations, like the whole nine yards. It was, is a pretty, uh, pretty in, uh, big endeavor. And then actually get on the ride and then have to have a brave face on every day for all the questions that come from everybody and guiding them across the country and, you know, directions. And it's, it's not just a simple, you know, we're driving from, you know, Calgary to Edmonton. It's we're driving from literally coast to coast and mm -hmm. through towns that I'd never even heard of before, other than, you know, when I did the basic research on, okay, we need to go down this road and go down that road. And, and the whole time you're having to, to be the leader, right? And yep. so at the end of the day, I'd park the bike and, and go into the hotel and, and just, <sighs> holy cow. Yeah. Like, you know, there was, uh, at one point we were at West Hawk Lake, uh, just, uh, just before the Manitoba border coming out of Ontario. And this, we just pulled in, it's 40 degrees out. It's smoking hot in August. And I, I roll up to the, to the fuel pumps and my wife, Leslie, she rides up right beside me and we're going to fuel up. And literally this guy uh, comes walking over and he's like, <laughs> stuffs this paper right in my face. And I'm like, 
dude, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, here, here, here's my registration. I'm like, why? why? And, yeah. and Leslie says, he hasn't even, he hasn't even got off his motorcycle yet. Like we get your enthusiasm, but man, it's like that stuff is taxing and I love him to death. Every rider out there is, is awesome. Like, but they just, they don't realize how much, how exhausting it is to, to make that trip, right. And to hold it all together for everybody. So anyway, it's, it's uh, well, I, just you those little same, lessons. I have the same thing with the walk, right? You, you do, you're working every day for months at a time, just getting everything mm -hmm. organized and working the people. And I got to get here and we have to have this set up and there are these guys and there's problems and there's shit that comes out. Anytime you're organizing an event like that, right? Like it's, it's yeah. nowhere near the level of the barrage because you're, you're not only organizing it, but you're in it, right? you you have to do it day to day to day over many days, which is exhausting in and of itself. Um, but yeah, there, and there's, there's always the crash too, right? Like at the end of it all, you just, mm. you just spent so much, so much of your, uh, not just your, uh, psychological capital, but your physical capital. Like it, it's taxing on the body sitting in a, on a bike for days. And then, yeah, you finish and you're just fucking done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cause there's, there's all the organization on both ends. There's organizing mm -hmm. in the middle. And then of mm -hmm. course you're, you're taking part and you can't stop. I mean, you've got to go each day and it's like you wake up after you, you know, you hit a huge pothole the day before the next day you wake up and you put the mask on because you're in agony and you saddle up again and, and away you go. Cause you got three or four more days of riding and a couple hundred people waiting. Like you have to go. Right. So, yeah. so anyhow, you roll into Vancouver on the last day and you know, you do the finale event and, and uh, you're up all, all night. Of course, it's a big, big party at the end because you've accomplished this ride <laughs> and uh the next day you've got to get up and you got to go dip your tires in the in the pacific ocean right so post x post x post x yep. <laughs> and then and, and get this so you've done all that and the and the ride's over but now you got to get home <laughs> mm -hmm. so you know it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't end and then you know so yeah. It's, then you got the raffle and you got all the other stuff, the, like the actual post X drills and cleaning yeah. everything up and mailing shit out. And there's, yep. yeah, it's, you know, all the thank you cards, you know, to everybody that's yep. helped and, and donated and all that stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a necessary part of the job and, and I love doing it. I mean, it was great. And, and, uh, so on that note, I've actually stepped down as the lead for the ride. You're the first one that's actually hearing this publicly now both awesome. that and my resignation from military minds is just time for me to move on. I, they need some new blood in there and you know, I'm tired. I've been doing, I've been the president of military minds for seven years. So as, and five years this, this summer will be uh, with the rolling barrage. So uh, for a ride that was, uh, was supposed to last one year, it's going to see its fifth annual next August. So yeah, it's, it's been a big, uh, it's been a fun ride. Well, you know, it, um, that it goes to goes to show there's a lot of humility there, right? Being able to say that when you when you're part of creating something, and then being able to just say, okay, you know what, you guys take it, man. Like I'm I'm tired, I'm done. Uh, but it's still it's kind of like your baby, right? Like you want to mm -hmm. you want to be part of it. You still want to be dealing with it. But it's um, that's one of the the really difficult parts about the especially the mask or the face is that you become uh, used to it you become it be, like it's it's easier to have the face on 
and not deal with anything. Yeah. Uh, not deal with any of the emotions or the pain or the difficulty and just keep working. And, yeah. you know, I, I see that with a lot of guys too. They get out and they start working and they just, they, they bleed themselves dry basically. Right. And they, yeah. they work themselves to death to the point that they haven't dealt with any of their issues. Mm-hmm. And then are when, when they actually do need help, they're so far uh, onto the, uh, so far off to the scale, like they're just, they're fucked oh, up yeah. they, and they need like intervention kind of thing rather than when, if they had dealt with it 10 years ago or five years ago, like just mm-hmm. start. Right. And I had a buddy of mine I was talking to uh, about the same thing. Yeah. And as, as hard as you're working, keeping that face up, you're just, you're draining yourself. You're killing yourself to, uh, to make yourself look like you're fine. Yeah. When yeah. And I was just like, you know, the first thing is just go talk to somebody, right? Like at the very minimum, if you're, he was saying that he was worried that he might snap one day and just like go off the handle. And I'm like, okay, well go talk to somebody about it. It's that simple. Don't talk to the base docs, right? <laughs> Those yeah, guys yeah. are interested in keeping you in the military. That's what they're doing. And they're military guys. So you're going to walk in there in uniform and be like, I'm perfectly fine. I don't even know why I came in here. See you later. Like you're not going <laughs> to look for help. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, go outside, see somebody outside and, and just start talking. Because for me, when I got right before I uh, got my diagnosis, when I was still in, I was having like sleep issues, like massive sleep issues. I was two, three hours a night. Maybe I was actually getting, and it was broken up throughout the whole. Anyway, when I talked to my wife about it, she was like, well, maybe you should just go talk to somebody. Maybe it's a sleep issue. Like maybe you have sleep apnea or your, um, your, you know, it could be physically something. And I was like, oh, well, that's a good point. Maybe I should just go talk to a doctor and see if it's, I can get some tests done. But it was just that moment of going, okay, let's go see a professional and see what happens. Cause it can't hurt any worse than not sleeping. <laughs> like I'm, I'm already fucked up. So let's go find out. <laughs> um, but there is such a usefulness in faking it, right? There's such a usefulness in that face, in that mask that you can still go out. You can still do stuff. You can still enjoy life. I say with air quotes, but you're not really enjoying anything, right? You're just, you're getting through it. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Do you have any tools that you found that to get past the usefulness of it, to get over the fact that it's uh, viable, <laughs> the technique um, for at least a little while? Well, I mean, I've uh, I've learned how to develop some skills to keep me grounded. Uh, even even though it looks like I'm wearing the mask, I, I still, you know, I can still peek behind it myself. I peel a piece off and have a look behind there and go, okay, you're doing okay. Or, hey, you need to do this. And, and the stuff that I do is, uh, like, photography is one of them. Uh, I find that it's much the same as a, as a shooting skill because you actually have to concentrate you have to focus on on the image that you want you have to you know align yourself the right way it it takes time and patience for the right shot and so i mean i use photography as one of them and uh the biggest one that i've i've been using since uh well even before i was in the military was is writing you know uh, obviously when i when i authored uh, ghost keepers that was a a huge uh release for me it was a, mm-hmm. a major venting of everything that I had to put out there and that helped. It didn't just help me, but it helped a lot of the guys that were on the tour. You know, I've, I've received, you know, literally hundreds of, of emails from the guys I served with that, you know, thanks for writing this. It's, it helped my family understand 
what the hell's going on with me and why I am the way I am. And, uh, you know, so there's that, uh, I've written for pro trucker magazine for uh, about 14 years now. Uh, you know, every month there's a, a monthly, uh, column in there by me, it's called idle time. And it just talks about the trucking industry and it lets me vent some frustrations out that way. And it also allows me to keep the uh, trucking industry in a positive light as well. There's a lot of negative stuff that's out there. And I mean, you can find that anywhere, but to actually focus on the, on the positive things that are in the trucking industry, uh, you know, especially in light of some of the major accidents that have happened and have been broadcast, of course, the, the tragedy in Humboldt, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's been a a lot of negative focus on the trucking industry, but uh, there are, there are literally thousands and thousands of Canadian truck drivers out there that are professionals and they do a great job. And something that a lot of people don't realize is lots of them are vets. Lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, they go out, they're job oriented, they're mission oriented. So they get from point A to point B and they're safe and they, they know all about risk management and, you know, so it, it's, uh, that's a whole other side of it. But writing is, is, uh, you know, one of those coping skills that I use to, uh, to vent, to allow that, that part of me that's behind the mask quite often to, to be able to come out and, and do, you know, like a, a check on, on how things are. Mm-hmm. You know, writing is so, um, therapeutic. I know lots of people that are, do like morning journals and, um, <clears throat> it really, you know, it comes down to just getting it out, right? Like you, yeah. you can bat stuff around your head all you want and then, mm-hmm. but to just either speak it or like with the podcast for me, this is perfect because I get to talk about experiences. I get to, uh, re and I get to reinforce all the tools that I need to use in order to handle my own shit every time I have an episode. Right? So I get to, and I get to learn new stuff. So I a hundred percent agree with you. Just getting it out is so key. And even if that is through, through writing photography, I know so many guys who gotten into photography since they've been out and you're absolutely right. It is a shooting discipline because yeah. you have to have the right light and the right uh, framing and the right, um, color scheme in your in your actual fo- I, it, I don't know how to shoot photos how <laughs> much of a photographer well, but just 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 think of it. yeah just think of uh the the rules of the principles of aim the rules of aim looking through the center of the rear aperture at the target select point of aim mm-hmm. you know i mean that's a key right there you look through the aperture on a camera exactly the same way so i mean there's it's a very cathartic way of doing things yeah i agree and you know it it's usually a pretty solitary thing too which is nice because mm-hmm. for a lot of us, that's how we can get that, that mask off, how we get the face off, right? Like you just, if you're by yourself, you don't need to put anything up. You don't need to have it on. You can just be with your own thoughts, your own, uh, your own emotions and just take photos, right? That's one of the reasons why I love hunting so much is the fact that I'm usually by myself yeah. and I'm in the middle of friggin' nowhere and I'm just climbing up mountains and you know for a fact that there, there may be people around you, but yeah. really there's no one for, you know, hundreds of kilometers, especially where I'm, where I go hunting, I'm out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. but the finding the right thing, right. That's getting to get past that face. And one of the things my wife used to ask me was, uh, whenever we'd go to my parents' house, I'd be fine. 
didn't matter how bad of a mood I was in before we got there. The moment I stepped into my mom's house, I was just, everything's, oh yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, cool. Let's talk about this. Blah, blah. That it would go on and I wouldn't even realize that I had put it on. Mm-hmm. And it took me a very long time to be able to actually recognize that it was on. And then took me another long time to realize how to actually take it off once it's already on. Yep. Without like an exhaustion kind of moment where you're like, fuck, I can't, can't, can't keep this up. And it, it really took the removal of ego to uh, to dive into that. Because I think a lot of it is centered in ego, right? You want to be useful. You want to be, um, to be able to be relied upon, right? Like, that's at the heart of what it is, what makes a good troop a good troop, right? <laughs> is that you can depend on them for anything. And it wasn't until I, I made that connection where it was an ego thing, where it was a connection to my own want to be useful to actually recognize that it was on. Did you have any moments, anything that really like keyed where you were like, man, okay, I need to, I need to stop putting this on. I need to. Oh, you know, I had, I've had those moments and I've had moments also where it's like, okay, you need to stop doing this. You know, my ex and I, we had a conversation and, and uh, she said to me, you know, you need to stop. The war's over. You don't have to worry about it. There's not, you know, impending danger at every turn. And, and, uh, you know, you need to just stop this. And I went to bed that night and I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. There's, there's nothing wrong with the world. It's all roses and everything's going to be great. And I laid down and I fell asleep, took me my usual couple hours, but I finally wound down and one o'clock in the morning, bing, the eyes come open because something's not right. I know something's not right. And I just laid there and it was hard. I had to fight through this, you know, that there was nothing happening. What I was, what was going on was just me laying there freaking out. Like I have to go outside and deal with what's happening. And, and I'm, so I'm laying there and I'm going, no, there's nothing happening. And you're just, this is all in your head. You're there's, there's nothing going on. So I laid there awake for the rest of the night because I, you know, it was one in the morning. By the time I got myself half ass settled down again, it was three thirty, four o'clock. And then I usually get up by five anyhow. Mm-hmm. So I, I got up, I walked outside and my entire neighborhood had been ransacked by teenagers. Oh my God. Oh my God. They destroyed everything. Like there yeah. was toolboxes that were yanked out of people's trucks and uh, the guy's water fountain next door uh, was smashed out on the street. And I mean, there was just shit everywhere. And, uh, Somebody said to me, why didn't you do something? And yeah. I was like, <sighs> so from that point on, I was like, well, I guess, th- I guess, you know, that isn't going to work for me anymore. The whole not wearing the mask thing. Yeah. So I had to, you know, just put it on again. And, and like I say, now I use my, my little checks with, with photography and writing to make sure that I'm still, you know, still all together. And, and, uh, you know, I think one of the things that's that's important to to recognize with with the wearing of the mask is when you're looking behind it and you and you're going to do something like writing or photography or whatever it is you're going to do painting um you're you're actually in I know some guys will just roll their eyes at this but this is the reality is you have to get in touch with who you are inside and really? you know as as horrifying as that can be you know you've got to be able to to look inside yourself and say hey you know what i made a 
I made a shit ton of mistakes or I did a lot of this or I did a lot of that or, you know, I could have been better here or I could have, you know, saved that or whatever. But at the, at the end of that, you've still got to be able to, to love yourself. You got to figure out where your feelings are at with yourself. And I know it sounds crazy, but it's a, it's a genuine part of, of healing and you have to find that because, you know, my saying is nobody beats me up like I do. Right. So, we, you know, every, every unit has that saying, right. You you never, you never hear, oh, those guys cock their guys more than we do. Right. It's always, mm. nobody fucks an engineer like an engineer. Nobody screws the VPs over like the VPs. <laughs> it's, yeah. There's a, and then we do it to ourselves. We just, we literally light ourselves up about the stupidest stuff and yeah. we will deride every good thing that we have done in life because we didn't get the laundry done that day or Mm -hmm. because, you know, and the other part of it is recognition of patterns too, right? Like where are you going to places or are you hanging around people that are going to be the continuation of what you're still doing? Right. And for me, martial arts has been part of my life, most of my life, but um, it is, that was a big one because it's physical, but it takes, mental acuity you have to study you have to work hard it eliminates your ego i've been getting into uh, jiu-jitsu in the last little while and it uh getting choked out by like a 17 year old 100 pound girl oh <laughs> that'll that'll test your ego real fast yep <laughs> um uh, you know a really big part of as you said getting better is being able to understand yourself and then actually enjoy being around yourself because it's so hard for a lot of us, right? We just, well, we can sit there on the couch and you can watch a favorite TV show and you will sit in your head and you'll fucking beat yourself. You should be doing something. Why aren't you fucking off? Get off the couch, you lazy fuck, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you have done earlier in the day, right? Like you could have built an entire deck by yourself. As soon as the moment you hit the couch, you're a lazy fuck. And then, yeah. you know, so keying into those patterns is a big part too, right? Being able to um, understand where you hit yourself right away. For me, the couch was a big one, right? The moment I sat down on the couch, even though I got a fucked up back, my knees are, uh, messed up. My shoulders are toast. When the, the, especially in Alberta, when the, uh, the pressure changes, I'm a human barometer, right? My knees just swell up. My back is killing me. My shoulder and my hearing goes all messed up because, uh, the nerve damage I have anyway. It is something that I have to be very aware of. So the moment the temperature changes or I start to get that pain and I want to sit down and I want to relax, I have to allow myself that. I have to be Mm -hmm. gracious with my own body and say, okay, you know what? Everything hurts. Take a minute, right? Yeah. And I I, I put that into working with um, my wife and working with my kids. And, you know, when when I need time, when I'm starting to get really agitated, I have to actually say that. Okay, you know what? I need a minute. Even if I go and play video games for five minutes just to calm down, you know what? You use it because mm-hmm. you're better five minutes from now after calming down for playing video games than you would be trying to fight through that particular issue, right? Yeah. And that, that's what that face, at least for me, like it made me want to fight through issues, which made me worse because now I'm upset and I'm angry and I'm... Well, it's, uh, being mission-oriented is a curse. Yeah, you know, in 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 civilian life or in dealing with your feelings, uh, you know, dealing with with uh, you know traumas that you've been engaged in, it uh, 
it's tough because you you think that by charging through this stuff you're gonna you're gonna fix it you're gonna make it better and and in reality the the harder you charge into it the the worse it gets mm-hmm. so it's it's finding that balance to to that really you know is going to help you get through it so you have to be able to pick that moment to just take a breath and take each piece bit by bit yeah um do you find any anything in particular that helps you uh get over yourself for a better for lack of a better term right like <laughs> because there's you know your your own you have to be able to get over whatever you whatever you think you are right because you're I you, you know, know what? I, I was a combat engineer. I blew stuff up. I was hardcore. I was bad. Blah 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 blah. Right? I'm mm-hmm. not anymore. I was, yeah. but I'm not now. I'm a dad, and I'm a podcaster, and I'm a veteran's advocate, and whatever. Right? And you have to be able to take what you thought you or what you were, and you have to be able to move it aside and go, "What am I now?" Being humble is uh, is not something that is trained into us. I mean, to to be in the combat arms in particular, they don't have uh, you know, your, t- your personality type is generally an A type personality. You're cocky. You're expected to be full of piss and vinegar. You know, that's, that's how you get the job done is thinking that you're better than everybody else, you know, especially the enemy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, 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 uh, not, I don't want to say brainwash, but you're trained into that thought process. That's the way you have to be. And you do it amongst your buddies and that's just the way it is. So when you come out and, and you need to try to not be that person. It's, it's a huge struggle. And, you know, sometimes it takes a a defining moment to become humble. And sometimes it's something that you uh, take the time to, to retrain yourself to be humble. Mm -hmm. And I had to do that as well. Uh, I think anybody that says they, they haven't had to do that is full of shit personally. I mean, if you've come out of the, uh, out of the combat arms trades, it, to me, it's it's something you have to work at is is toning yourself down because you've had to elevate yourself to get the job done. Yeah, because you know? nobody else is going to do it. They're not going to elevate you. They're going to kick you down. Mm-hmm. So they're up. You know. So that's that's just the way that goes. Yeah, I used to. Uh, I, there's a story I love telling, and it's uh, I remember it, for, it was from Basic, and. Uh, we were doing push-ups for something. I don't know <laughs> what we were doing push-ups for. We did a lot of push-ups, right? I'm sure you did do. Um, and one of the instructors was going around going like, uh, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? And like asking for trades and stuff. And uh, he came by me and he's like, what do you want to be? And I was like, I am going to be a combat engineer, mass corporal. And he was like, oh, you think so, do you? And I'm like, no, I know so. And you're right. It's that attitude, right? You need that. Mm -hmm. That's the type of person you want in those jobs because that's, like you said, how the job gets done. Um, Yeah. And I totally lost my train of thought when I was talking about humility. Humility. We're talking about humility. So yeah, Um, that's what we need to teach in the the forces because a lot of the toxicity that we see is specifically that issue is the people not being humble. And you know, I've. I don't know how many times you, you come up with an idea. You're like, oh, you know what we should do? We should do this particular style of training. And people would tell you, okay, keep that to your, keep that close to your chest. Don't tell anybody about it. So you're like, write the memo, get it up. Because if you start talking about it, someone's going to take the idea and they're going to run with it. Yeah. And unfortunately, everyone believes them. They're like, okay, cool. Yeah, no, I'll, yeah, I, I need credit for this. So absolutely, I should, I should keep it close to my chest and not 
not talk about it. Who's benefiting from that, right? No one. Yeah. And I'm a big uh, fan of Jocko Willink and his book, Extreme Ownership, and all the stuff he talks about in leadership. And one of the key things he continuously harps is humility, because it's all about the team. It's not about you, mm-hmm. right? But it, it is so hard to teach yourself that once you're out, right? <laughs> because again, you have, to, yeah. you have to get over yourself, right? Well, I was just going to say uh, in agreement with uh, humility needs to be trained. Uh, I had said a few years back in Ottawa when I was there speaking with uh, cabinet uh, about suicide and so on with vets that uh, there needs to be a fundamental change in the way we deal with mental health in in the forces. And it's something, you know, we learn how to strip and assemble a rifle uh, in every trade, doesn't matter where you are. You learn how to strip and assemble that rifle in the dark mm-hmm. and put it back to, you know, make it clean and fancy and all the good stuff. And you go over that and over that and over that and over that, you know, so, so it's ingrained in your, in your muscle memory. And we need to do the same sort of stuff with, with how we deal with people. And to me, that, that would make a, a huge difference in how uh, guys come out and gals come out of the forces post, uh, you know, service in theater. Yeah. You know, whether it's, uh, whether they were in Afghanistan or a peacekeeping mission or whatever, uh, aid to civil power you know, the traumas that they uh, received during that time would be much uh, less if they already knew what to expect yeah. and had the tools already in their toolbox, you know, prior to, because it was part of the training. Uh, you know, they do shape training and all this other stuff that goes on now that I'm not even privy to most of it, but uh, there's no reason they couldn't do something like that uh, right from basic training. Yeah, And I'm not talking, you know, like you're always going to have people that... Uh, that are going to be naysayers and old school. And they're going to go, ah, you don't need that crap. Mm-hmm. And I've got to, I'm teaching you this because I have to, Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're always going to have those people. But the reality is, is even if that's that cranky old fart uh, puts that stuff across like that, somebody's still going to take it Yep, and they're going to, and they're going to employ it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Even if it's poor training, they're still going to get something out of it. So I think it's something that would be beneficial and whether or not they'll institute something like that in the future remains to be seen. Yeah. But we'll see what happens there. I mean, we're, we're probably looking at another downturn for the military in the next little while. Hope uh, we'll see politically wise. That's a whole nother side of the side of the, the yeah. shit show that's going on right now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the, you know, one of the things, the, re- yeah. the reason I called this, the, the podcast tools for the toolbox is, I mean, how many times did we hear that during training? Right. I was, I don't know how many classes I sat through where they're like, you'll probably never use this, but it's another tool for the toolbox. You'll use, you might use it eventually. Mm-hmm. Just keep it in your head. And it never really keyed for me until I was an instructor. And uh, one of the, th- somebody asked me, one of the recruits asked me, he's like, why are we learning this? This isn't part of our job. This doesn't make any sense. And I said, okay, well, let me give you an example. When I was in high school, we learned algebra. Every single one of us sat there going, the hell are we ever going to use algebra for, right? Why, why are we learning Pythagorean's theorem? This makes no sense in your average everyday life unless you deal with math directly. Why are we learning mm-hmm. it? And then fast forward to my fives course, and we had to sit for a DL portion, which was basic algebra and finding the area of a cone and finding how to find the volume of a cylinder and how, like because it's part of the engineering training right if we need to drill holes and then fill it with c4 we need to know how much c4 to go in there we can't just start filling it 
ahead of time mm-hmm. with a sh- like <laughs> you need to know how much to order so you can get it here anyway um hey, you can never have too much seafood. no absolutely i agree 100 <laughs> percent. every problem in the human history can be solved with the correct application of high explosives period <laughs> mm-hmm. but um the problem was a lot of the guys that were that i was doing the fives course with they had no idea how to do algebra they had no idea what the, the the formulas were how to employ them how to do that stuff and i remember actually the sergeant who was in charge of us was like i'm gonna have to look this up and i was like sarge i can i got this and i walked up the board and i put all of the different formulas down and i was like boom 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 boom. here's how you do it here's how it's laid out and i basically taught a class on 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 algebra basic algebra like i'm not saying i'm a mathematician by any means but you know um (laughs) and it, it hit me i was just like oh my God, I'm using my high school algebra. I'm actually using it right now and I'm dealing with explosives. Um, and I told this to the recruits and they were like, oh. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, you never know, right? Like it, this is yeah. good information to have in your head. And if it all of a sudden comes up and you're like, you're that guy who's like, I know algebra, <laughs> I can teach, you know? Yep. Then you're a step ahead because you have that knowledge in, in the back of your head. Uh, and I think the, as you, as we were saying, humility training, it would be one of those things. It just to, yeah. to touch on it a little bit more. I mean, they always say it, it's part of your, you know, you're part of your leadership training. And it's always about the men before, uh, the men first, then you, your men, your weapon, your, like the mission, the mission, weapon, men, you, something like that. Leadership, I can't remember. It's been a while now, yeah. but you're always last. And the thing that I tell people now is like, now that you're out. You're first. You are the mission now. Like, you can't let the job be your mission. You can't let somebody else be your mission. It's about you. And you have to be not quite selfish, but you have to actually know yourself, as you said earlier, right? You have to be able to say, okay, this is what I need today. If you need to just lay in bed in the dark all day, do it, right? Like, if that's going to help you, that's what you do. do it. Yep. Don't do it for six days in a row, but... yeah. Balance. Balance, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Um, any um, any tips for anybody finding that balance of you that you've come up with in your time? Well, as I you know said right at the onset of this, is uh, it's individual. You know, like nobody's the same. Nobody reacts the same. Nobody's uh, picked up the same traumas. You know, you might have you could be in the same battle at the same time and both get wounded, and you'll have two different outcomes mentally Mm -hmm. you know so uh the tips are is is just find out what works for you and you might have to it's like finding a a counselor to talk to you might go through a dozen of them until you find the right one that clicks Mm -hmm. but keep keep searching for that don't don't give up because it is out there you just have to you just have to find it and once you've got a few different tools then you find the balance in what works because tools aren't just the the you know the environmentally friendly hugs and kisses stuff sometimes it is going to the range and blowing shit up you know that that is a tool so you have to you have to put that in in perspective with the hugs and kisses and you know find that that balance and whatever works for that person is where it's going to you know play out for them that's such a great uh formulation because it it's so true every everybody has their own little uh, quirks, right? What What is it that you like? What is it that you want to do? And the other thing is, 
you know, when I was younger, I was told, uh, do a, do a job you love for whatever. I don't remember what the quote is, right? Do, if you do what you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And I was like, that is bullshit. Because even if you love doing it, there's going to be days where you wake up and go, fuck. What the hell am I doing? Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? And it doesn't matter how good that job is. There's always days that you have to grind through it. It's going to be work. And you have to understand that because it's work, you're going to have to do the grind. And, you know, finding a therapist is so hard to do to actually find one that clicks and you can work with and that understands you and uh, will challenge you in the right way. Mm-hmm. That that's key. Some, something else I would point out for guys and gals that are going to get out or thinking of transitioning to the, to the civilian side of life is to make sure that anytime you have something go on physically or mentally, go to the MIR and have it documented, oh, get yes. it in your file. That is a must. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got injuries that I can't claim because I did, I was too tough to go in. Yeah. I'm not going to the MIR, you know, and you struggle through it. So, um, but I do have other ones, you know, where I've got, I had nine claims with VAC and one of them went through without issue. The other eight, I had to appeal right to the VRAB mm-hmm. and the VRAB, the, the panel that sat there, the three, the three individuals who looked at my files, they were like, why are you even here? Yeah. Like, it's obvious that, th- that this is, that you're, you know, you're, you should be granted all of these claims. Why are you here at the VRAB? I said, that's a really good question because as you can see in my file, everything that I've claimed is in my medical file. It's in my purse file. Like, yeah. you know, so because I had that documentation though, is why they were successful. So it's important that uh, the troops, you know, heed that part of, you know, our conversation is make sure you document everything, whether it's, uh, you know, going to the dentist. And there, here's an example. I was in Petawawa during basic, well, during uh, battle school, I was in my second month and I went to the dentist and the uh, dental tech there, she unknowingly pushed some plaque up underneath my gum. Okay. Uh, under the gum line. Mm-hmm. Well, it it was instantly infected. I, I got back to the, you know, the uh, course lines and I'm, you know, in my, st- in my station job that evening. And the next thing I know, I was like on my face yep. and the guys, uh, I'm being woken up and it's like, what the hell's wrong? And I didn't realize it, but my face had been swelling and swelling. Yeah. Like I, it, it was, you know, toxic. Yeah. So anyhow, I ended up in the, in the base hospital like immediately, and they had to drain my gum, and all of this, you know, it's disgusting fluid was was drained, and I was on antibiotics, and you know that the next morning the doc says, well, you're probably going to be here for a week, and I said, well, if it's all the same to you, Captain, I'd I'd actually like to get back to my course lines where I'm going to get recoursed, and, and uh, he says, well, I can't really release you, and I said, are you going to charge me with disobeying a lawful command if I? <laughs> pack my shit and go back to the course and uh he says you really want to go back eh? i says i i have to go back i'm not getting recourse yeah. and uh so anyway that wasn't documented for whatever reason uh, it wasn't documented and i had no idea so now i actually have dental issues you can mm-hmm. see one of my teeth is is all buggered up and it's right where that that incident uh, happened so you know, do your best to make sure that all your stuff is documented. It will pay off in the long run. Yeah. I, when I was an instructor, I was, 
I hammered that all the time because the only reason that I have the uh, the benefits that I do right now is because I was one of those guys where it was like, I'm going to get this written up. There was lots of times where I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to pound through. And, and unfortunately, so I don't have the level that I should be having because of the amount of injuries that I do um, or that I sustained over the years, especially my knees. Like, I, I don't know how many times I strained or dislocated or um, I had some pretty messed up knees. But anyway, um, there were lots of times we'd be on a run and be like, yeah, you might need pretty, it hurts. It hurts, but I'm just going to keep running. All right. You need to keep running. You yeah. get back to the unit. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty, that hurts. Fuck it. I'll just get my boots on and I'll be fine. And it's those points where you're like, if it hurts that much, like if you're still thinking about it through the run, after the run, all day, and the next day, you probably should have gone to the MIR. And you, and, and all you have to do is go yeah. there, right? You don't need yeah. you don't need a category. You don't need a chit. You just need to show up and be like, hey, my knee hurts. Can you look at it? They'll look at it and be like, yeah, it's a minor strain, minor whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's on paper. And then you have it. Exactly. You don't need a yeah. CF-98 all the time. You don't need an incident report all the time, but you just need to actually have it on paper. And it's so important. But again, that's that ego, right? Of just, fuck it, I can... I'm I'm fucking good. Yeah. I'm good to go. No worries. You're good. Yeah. I'm hardcore. Hardcore, yeah. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're hard up until <laughs> oh, they can't anymore. Yeah. You're hardcore and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that humility, right? Yeah, yeah that's exactly <laughs> so, it. Well, yeah. you know, I appreciate this, man. We've been going for a little bit over an hour now, and I can't thank you enough. This has been a fantastic conversation. Do you have any uh, final points? Anything uh, you want to add last minute before we shut her down? Nope. Uh, if I could add anything, yeah, sure. What the hell? I'd like to say thanks to all the troops for uh, for everything they've done. You know, since before my service and after, it's it's all of us, you know, that have served in uniform that keep keep the country running. Absolutely. Protected. So thanks to all, of, all the troops. Thanks. Solid. Um, if anybody would like to find more about you or follow you in any way, if you have uh, social media or nothing like that, what about your, <laughs> you got, you got your book still floating around though, right? <laughs> yeah. The book's still out there. Yeah, absolutely. Ghost Keepers. It's on Amazon and, and whatnot. So. Wicked. Yeah. All right, cool, man. Uh, thanks again. I really appreciate it. That's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an awesome. Well, once I Actually, once I edit cool. it all together, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, it, it, no, you did a great job. Thank you very much for having me. Oh man, I my pleasure. Absolutely. This is like I said. I I'm I'm learning stuff every time. That concludes this episode of the Toolbox. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you were able to use some of the information that was offered. I want to thank all those putting it on the line for us every day. Military, veterans, first responders, and public servants. Keep up the good work. I look forward to bringing you more tools for your toolbox. And until next time, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. Chimo. Chimo.